The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Today's a weird day, folks. It's not the All-Star break when things start to downslope in the NBA season. It's actually the day right after the trade deadline. This is the day. It's it might not seem accurate, but I promise you it is. Because from this point on, it's the race towards the fantasy playoffs for a lot of teams. And then you start to see teams get eliminated. I actually spoke to someone on Twitter whose playoffs have already begun. Two-week playoffs apiece or three-week playoff weeks. Two weeks, I think it's two weeks apiece. They go six weeks and then they cut off the last couple weeks of the season. We are officially now on the downslope after making it through the trade deadline. Now, that doesn't mean that we can just coast. Just because you're rolling downhill doesn't mean you shouldn't still hit the accelerator. It's just an opportunity to go a lot faster. <laughs> I took that metaphor too far. Basically, what I'm saying is, if you close your eyes for a day, you'll keep moving forward, whether you want to or not. We're at that part of the season. Early in the year, if you close your eyes for a couple of days, you will slide back. Someone will lap you. Right now, everybody's just trucking. Another reason that this is sort of the beginning of the downslope is that teams are going to take stock after the trade deadline and into the all-star break. It's kind of like a two-week take stock period now where the teams at the bottom of your league will probably start to pay attention to spring training in baseball or, I don't know, their families. Something, something silly like that. <laughs> Whereas, for those of us that are in contention, this is an opportunity to take advantage of a time, and, and it's only going to get more extreme, where fewer and fewer teams are paying close attention to what's going on. Where in January, you may have been competing with 11 other teams for every free agent pickup by the middle of February. By the end of the All-Star break, you're probably only competing with nine or eight other teams for those free agent pickups. You just have a slightly better chance, whether that's Auction or first come, first serve. Whatever whatever method it is, you've got a better shot to get the stuff you want. Now we need to take advantage of that. This is a key time when we need to keep our foot on the gas when everybody else is taking a nap. But there's nothing specific that we have to do in this moment. And this is just an, an, a not-so-subtle reminder that Every week is an opportunity to try to lap somebody. So, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. That's, I guess, what I probably should have started with. This is a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Bespris, and my voice is still tired after our four-hour live trade deadline spectacular yesterday. Again, a giant, heaping, mega-fat thank you to everyone that not only was involved on the production side but also on the viewing side. The fact that you guys keep showing up and watching these things is the reason we can keep putting them on. 
Because they're fun. Damn it, they're fun to do. But if nobody was watching them, well, they wouldn't be that fun to do. <laughs> you know, we don't want to scream into an ether for four hours. Right? We got, you know, the, the whole purpose of this is for somebody to enjoy it. So the fact that you guys are taking it in and, and lapping up the content, we are just having the time of our damn lives on this thing. Hell of a trade deadline. A lot of cool stuff went down. Uh, and we'll break all of that down here in just a moment. This Friday show is going to be a tiny bit different than the last few, and which was actually a little bit different than the last few. And what will probably happen is we will go back to the in-between, if that makes any sense to any of you guys. Uh, for most of the season, our Friday shows have been a week in review. Basically, pickups, drops, watch list, guys. Recently, we amended that to get into a little bit more of a specialist zone. This is the ROI time of the season, so that took the place of some of the more streamy discussions we've had on previous Fridays. And for this one, this one Friday, we're going to replace that whole segment with the trade deadline breakdown. Because for those of you that didn't watch our live show, you guys got just the final hour of the live show on yesterday's podcast, which didn't have all of the breakdowns. And to me, I don't know that it had all of the key footnotes on these things. So what I've done today is I've broken down the trade deadline results into basically big winners, small winners, emotional winners, which I thought was kind of a funny subcategory to throw in there, and then obviously trade deadline losers. We'll break down Thursday, obviously. That's, you know, that goes without saying. Anything that shook out on Thursday night is worth exploring in some small capacity. And we'll take a look towards the weekend. Find out what's coming up for each team's next ball game. All 30. We'll go through every every team and what they've got coming up. And believe me, there's plenty of things to look at. What's coming up for all of these different ball clubs. Well, the ones that have players changing teams. Damn right we got stuff to look at. So let's do this somewhat chronologically. Normally, we would start with a Thursday evening breakdown. But because that actually came after the trade deadline... I want to go through the trade deadline winners and losers first. Plus, in my estimation, it's probably the thing you guys are most interested in anyway. So, let's start with the bad news. We'll work our way, well, let's start with the, the most polarizing news. Basically, the big losers of the trade deadline and the big winners. And you guys can, you can argue semantics with me because, again, I do have tiers on the winning side, and you might feel uh, that one of those guys belongs maybe in the smaller winners as opposed to the big winners or vice versa. That's fine. You're splitting hairs a little bit at that point, and I'm fine with that. This is really just about separating guys that should be viewed in a favorable light from a negative one after the trade deadline. And a lot of this stuff is relatively obvious as well. Let's start with the bad news. Let's get that out of the way quickly. Trade deadline, losers. And there are some pretty obvious ones on this list. Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson III. We'll start with the Warriors that went to the 76ers, who could have certainly used them on Thursday night, but uh, we'll get into that here in, uh, in a little bit. Alec Burks was number 69 on the year in nine category leagues, playing 29 minutes a game, not shooting the ball well, but a high-volume, really strong free-throw number. 90% on almost five free throws a game, 
41% on 12 and a half shots per game. He averaged almost two three-pointers, 16, 5, and 3, with a steal and almost half a block and only 1.6 turnovers. All of those numbers are coming down. This dude is now the backup shooting guard. Although, actually, he might start while Josh Richardson is out. There's a possibility he, he can get near the top 100 while Richardson is on the shelf. But when that dynamic flips and Burks goes down to playing, you know, 15 to 19 minutes a game as a gunner off the bench and not even really a traditional floor spacer, he's never been a prolific three-point shooter, although certainly better with the 1.8 of them this year. That's a career-high mark, and at 37.5%, it's not, it's not horrendous, you know, not a bad three-point shooter. Uh, but that's what Philly needs of these guys. They need folks that can actually knock down a few shots. And for Burks, he can get himself to the foul line. He can find a way to score, and it's going to be helpful for them. But he ain't playing 29 minutes of ball game. And it's basically the same story for Glenn Robinson, who had actually been ramping up really hard over the last couple of weeks and moved himself, believe it or not, inside the top 100 for the season. Well, he's about to fall off a cliff, too. He is now the backup small forward to Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons, whichever one of those two guys you actually want to call that spot on the 76ers starting lineup, uh, his minutes are going to drop precipitously as well. He's playing 31 and a half minutes for Golden State. I'd be surprised, honestly, if he got to 20. All of this stuff is good for the 76ers. He's been a really nice, efficient player. 48% from the field, 85 at the free throw line, one and a half, three-pointers, 13, five, and two with a steal. Uh, but this, these numbers are falling off a cliff. I'd be very surprised if after Josh Richardson's back, if either one of those two guys remained in in 12-team department. It's unfortunate. Um, I don't think we knew that Glenn Robinson was so hard on the trade block. We definitely did know that Alec Burks was getting shopped, and he was almost, in terms of guys that you sort of, you know, you never really know who's going to get moved at the trade deadline, but Alec Burks felt like the closest to 100% because the Warriors had absolutely no use for them. They're in full tank mode. And you could pretty much take anything back for Burks and you'd consider it a win. You know, it's not like you can get lowballed on a career, you know, scoring wing who's never really cleared the hurdle. And then Glenn Robinson, who, you know, this year has turned himself into a much more efficient and interesting basketball player. The Warriors did exactly what they wanted to with these guys. They brought him in, they played a ton of them, and turned him into picks. What they do with those? Who the hell knows? But they turned him into other assets, and that's all that matters. They'll just bring in other random dudes, and they've already started. Zach Norvell has already come on. They signed Kai Bowman to a, uh, a real contract. So it's already begun in Golden State with the other stuff happening now. So those guys are a pretty obvious trade deadline loser. Next one on the docket. And this one makes me very sad to say, but Larry Nance Jr. is a big-time trade deadline loser. I'm not punting on him immediately. Whereas with guys like Burks and Glenn Robinson, Glenn Robinson in particular is completely screwed right from the outset. As we mentioned, Burks might have a very short shelf life while Richardson is hurt. Uh, those guys are both going to be done. As soon as Philadelphia is healthy, they're both done. With Larry Nance, I'm confused because he was really starting to play well they were ramping his minutes up. It seemed like he was carving out a really nice role on that team with or without Tristan Thompson healthy. 
Obviously, he was doing more when Thompson was out, but he was still doing plenty even with everybody on the floor. And then the Cavs traded for Andre Drummond, and the only center they sent out was John Henson, who wasn't even, I mean, he was barely an afterthought while on the Cavaliers. As it stands right now, Cleveland has Andre Drummond, Kevin Love, a banged-up Tristan Thompson, and a suddenly healthy Larry Nance, all basically fighting for center minutes. With the obvious corollary that they play Kevin Love at the four from time to time, and even Larry Nance has actually seen a couple of minutes at the four from time to time as well. These are, you know, Kevin Love at the four is asking to just get roasted on the defensive side. But an Andre Drummond, Kevin Love front court is certainly interesting. That'll sell a couple of tickets, if nothing else. The question is, in my estimation, I would have thought you just play Larry Nance every backup power forward and center minute. Make it a three-man rotation, slide Chetty Osmond down to the three, don't even worry about that, and then Tristan Thompson should have been traded or bought out. Then we're getting a report that Tristan Thompson's not going to be bought out when he wasn't traded, and he's going to be you know, a locker room guy, and when he gets healthy, maybe he'll, I don't know, play backup center to Andre Drummond, which would basically put the arrow through Larry Nance, because if he's only getting a few minutes at center and power forward, maybe, suddenly his minutes go from, you know, we were seeing mid to high 20s while Tristan Thompson was out there. There just aren't the minutes available with Andre Drummond playing 30. Where are they coming from? 15 from Nance, 15 from Thompson? That knocks both of those guys down into the 12 to 15 range. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. However, even though the outlook is poor, I'm holding on because I'm not sure that the Cavaliers are going to get away with just sitting on Tristan Thompson the rest uh, the rest of this season. I know they said they don't want to buy him out but it's a bad look on a uh, a team that's sinking into the ocean. A guy on an expiring contract who I'm sure would love to go hustle and grab some boards for a contender. Teams want to remain favorable in players' eyes and in their agents' eyes. And if people feel that this is sort of doing a guy wrong... That might reflect poorly on the Cavaliers and might hurt them as they make recruiting pitches. I mean, Tristan Thompson, I don't actually know off the top of my head who he's... I think he's a clutch guy, isn't he? I don't know who he's represented by specifically. I think it's clutch. I mean, that's a that's a bad look, man. He goes to his agent. Rich Paul talks to other agents. They say, oh, the Cavaliers, man, they're, they're screwing with players right now. So I think there's still a, a maybe a 20 30% chance they ultimately have to buy him out just to keep from it becoming a thing. But maybe he's, you know, Tristan Thompson had been such a damn good citizen on this horrible team that maybe he just says, all right, whatever, I'll ride it out, I'll be a veteran presence. And maybe we catch, we get lucky and they just sit him. Maybe he becomes a bench friend to the Cavaliers down the stretch. So I'm not dumping Larry Nance yet. Uh, Tristan Thompson has been out with injury anyway. There's going to be a game here probably where Drummond doesn't play for his new team, I, I imagine. Guys usually miss one game. Although I don't think Rob Covington did, so maybe they maybe they rush Andre in. But if Andre plays and Kevin Love plays, I still I still think there's enough for Larry Nance in that instance. And then we'll you know, once Tristan Thompson comes back, then we'll sort of at that point you get a better feel for what's actually going to be happening with Larry Nance Jr. So hold on for a little bit. 
Marcus Morris is a big-time trade deadline loser. I'm also going to hold him for probably a week, depending on what stats you need. He's going to be playing tough guy in uh, in L.A. with the Clippers. He had, he had sort of shelved that a little bit. I know he got into a fight, but he had shelved that a little bit with New York while he was being asked to do more scoring. He's going to be doing more floor spacing in Clippertown. His scoring is not going to be up around 20 points per game. That's going to be cut substantially substantially he's probably looking at oh geez i mean this is this is this is a pretty significant hit right now marcus morris is uh sitting on 19 and a half points per game on almost 15 shots a night i i think he might see a usage cut by about 33 percent i think you might see him go from 15 shots a game down to 10 right is there a reasonable argument for him getting more than 10 shots when Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell are all basically in front of him in the pecking order? Ten shots a game? What does that mean? Let's just shave a third off of everything he's done. He goes from 20 points to 13-ish. That's rough. Rebounds should be okay. I don't know that that other stuff... I mean, I still think he's going to play a pretty good chunk of minutes. Maybe not 32 a game. But he's number 71 right now. He probably falls outside the top 100 you can hang on briefly if you want to. Like I said, I think I probably would give him a couple of games with his new team just to see minutes more than anything else because usage is going to fluctuate on a night-to-night basis, especially as he's sort of settling in with his new team. Um, but this is going to be a pretty serious nut punch when it's all said and done. Tristan Thompson, who I sort of skipped over, he actually is a trade deadline loser here because what little stuff he was doing is now... Uh, Blep. gone. He doesn't have the versatility that Larry Nance had. At least Nance can survive in 25 minutes a game. Tristan Thompson needs 30 minutes to do enough rebounding to cover up his other crap. He's a, He was a trade deadline loser, but... I mean, he, was, he wasn't really there anyway. And then the other trade that created a whole bunch of trade deadline losers was the Memphis-Miami-Minnesota uh, getting in late trade, where Jay Crowder, who was pretty close to fantasy value for most of the year, never quite an everyday guy in 9-cat, never quite an everyday guy, uh, he goes to Miami and he's crammed into a serious logjam now because not only did he go to a team that's just loaded to the hilt with scoring wings, generally smaller than him, to be fair. Uh, he went to a team with a center that can play power forward in Bam Adebayo, so that chews up some of those minutes. They've got Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic floating around on that team, Derek Jones Jr. when Jimmy Butler comes back. There are guys everywhere. There's just no way he gets the minutes in Miami or touches the ball as often. Even if he wasn't shooting it every time in Memphis... He would, get, he would get himself assists, swinging the ball around. Uh, it's going to be rough. They're going to ask him to, to, to play hard and do the stuff he did in Memphis, but the upside is gone unless he goes gambling and tries to raise the, the steal rate. And then I think it also hurts all the other guys on the Heat. You know, we were talking about, you know, all the other guys are hurting Jay Crowder, but Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill... And Andre Iguodala, don't forget, who comes over with Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill. By the way, that's another weird dynamic that no one's been talking about at all that I'll bring up here. Miami yesterday 
sorry, not yesterday. They didn't play on trade deadline Thursday. They played on Wednesday. Uh, Derek Jones Jr., Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, Goran Dragic, Jimmy Butler, Kelly Olynyk, Chris Silva, all listed basically as either wings, big guards. None of those guys is, well, Kendrick Nunn is fairly short or sort of like fours and fives. Then you had Solomon Hill. You had Jake Crowder. Right? These are the guys that just played on Wednesday. That Jimmy James Johnson didn't even play on Wednesday. Deion Waiters barely plays at all. And Justice Winslow's been hurt for two and a half months. So Miami sent out three guys that weren't even seeing the floor for three guys that were, or can, if you include Iguodala, could see the floor on a regular NBA team. There is serious animosity in Memphis towards Andre Iguodala, who set out the entire season for a team he thought was in full rebuild mode and currently sits in the eighth seed in the playoff race. I don't know if Iguodala miscalculated that. Either way, he got himself an extension, but he got himself some enemies in the process, and he's still teammates with two of them. So however Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill felt about Iguodala forcing himself out for the entire season while they were hustling to try to get the Grizzlies into the playoffs, they go to a Heat team, and now they got to play with this guy. I think that's actually going to create a problem. Anyway, all of their fantasy values are dead. That's the whole point. Miami's got 45 wings that they can play. If Crowder's not playing well one night, he just won't see the floor. You guys know the Spolster way. All right, so those are the trade deadline losers. Um... Let's move on to the better news. Let's start with the guys that I think are the biggest winners on trade deadline Thursday. And you might disagree with me again on the, the, the value, how far the throttle is on some of these dudes, but I don't think anyone can argue that they all, that these guys all were winners. The biggest winner on trade deadline Thursday is Christian Wood. Pretty much an inarguable point at this method. So if you stashed him for three months, it cashed in. I don't know what it cost you November, December, January by sitting on this dude while he wasn't doing anything for you. What other pickups might have arrived to join your team over that stretch? But lightning officially in the bottle. Christian Wood is going to get, one would assume, basically all he can handle. And I know what you're saying. Dan, dude was playing 32 minutes a game with Drummond earlier this week. Why does this change things much? Well, it changes things because now his minutes are going to be almost exclusively at center. Which seems like a little thing, but it's not. Because you put Christian Wood on the floor without Andre Drummond. You put anyone on the floor without Andre Drummond, and the rebounding rate is going to increase dramatically. So really, the only thing that you looked at with Christian Wood and tried to poke holes in his game this year, which was the fact that his defensive stats and his rebounding were a little bit lower on a permanent basis than what we saw late last year with New Orleans, right? Like, remember late last year when all of a sudden, uh, basically two and a half weeks, he was playing starters minutes, and he was going totally bananas. He had a six-block game mixed in there. Uh, I think he had ten blocks over six or seven games, so pretty good numbers there. He had seven steals. Uh, in those seven games, five of the seven he had nine rebounds or more and this is all basically in like 27 ish minutes a game this season as a point of comparison with wood lately you know 32 33 minutes these last couple of games he's still sitting at five six seven eight rebounds that number's coming up with no drumming that number's going up there just aren't other guys that are going to take the rebounds away from him 
not guys that are healthy or playing right now. And I don't know that there are any of those guys that aren't healthy or playing that'll take those boards away. It's time to go bananas. So look for him to increase his stuff. Uh, the, the field goal percent should probably stay pretty close to the same. I mean, he, you know, shot selection stays about the same. He's even popping three-pointers. It's going to be a good run. If you got Christian Wood, you're looking at a guy that could sit inside the top 60 the rest of the way. Big deal. Possible fifth-round type value over the next eight weeks or so. I think the second biggest winner on trade deadline Thursday, and again, this is where you guys might start to disagree with me a little bit, is DeAnthony Melton. We talked exclu- uh, extensively just a moment ago on the uh, Grizzlies sending out two guys and then a third one that's also that was just sitting, but two guys that were actually logging minutes this year, right? Jay Crowder, who was playing up around 30 minutes a ball game, I think 29 was his number. Um, Solomon Hill was averaging about 19 minutes a game when he was actually healthy enough to go. So the the uh, Grizzlies sent out almost 50 minutes of playtime at the wing. These are largely small forward minutes for Memphis. And they brought back a hurt Justice Winslow, so that's zero. Picked up and then sent out James Johnson for a center, so that has no bearing on the wing. I think that was Gorgie Jeng, if I'm not mistaken. And then Dion Waiters, who they're expected to wave. So that's another zero. Basically, they sent out 50 wing minutes and probably brought back about eight center minutes. However you want to run this thing out, it's a huge win for the fantasy value of the guys left on the Grizzlies. Brandon Clark should see more time at power forward. Jay Crowder's not going to take any minutes there. And James Johnson, who could have, got shipped out. Jordan Bell, Gorgie Jang, those guys are backup centers. I don't. I honestly don't know why they're stockpiling them, but that's a totally different discussion. This is helpful for all of the guards and wings on the Grizzlies, and I'll get into another name among them here in just a moment. But the reason this is a big deal for DeAnthony Melton is that he plays bigger than he is. He's only 6'2", but he's 200 pounds. So he's a stout 6'2 in the NBA. Strong. He can handle himself at the shooting guard spot easily. And John Morant, by the way, not a small dude. I know he's not strong like Melton yet. He's more wiry, but he's tall. So they could easily play those two guys together if they wanted to. They could sort of interchange them if they needed to. You could even see them go to Ja at almost like a point forward. But screw it. Let's say they don't even do that. Eliminating those 50 wing minutes, some of them are going to go to slow-mo, who when Crowder is out, tends to play in the 25 to 30 minute range instead of the 15 to 20 minute range. So give him 10 to 15 of those 50 minutes. If you want to say eight go to this to big lineups, that still leaves 20 some odd minutes unaccounted for. Mid to high 20s. Those are going to go to the guards because that's who's left on this team. Dylan Brooks might have to slide up and play more three while DeAnthony Melton and Ja play the one and the two. Tyus Jones actually probably picks up a few extra minutes as well. We haven't talked a whole lot about him in this whole mess because we've been so laser focused on Melton's insane fantasy value, but Tyus Jones probably sees his minutes per game go up also. I'm just less excited about his fantasy game. He's playing 19 minutes a game. Melton's right around that same 18, 19 minutes a game as well. The reason I don't think Tyus Jones' minutes go up as fast as Melton's is that he can't really play the two. If he's on the floor, he's got to be the point guard, which means that means that pushes Jaw to the two, and if they want him running the offense at the one, 
the guy they can put next to him, DeAnthony Melton. The other reason we're so excited about Melton is that he's number 150 in 18 minutes a game. 150. You guys know how fast you can go from 150 to 100, too. We've talked about that a thousand times on this podcast. He's averaging 8, 4, and 3 on 46% of the field, 84 at the free throw line, and 1.3 steals, 0.3 blocks. If you take his 18 minutes and raise that to 24 or 25, you're talking about an extra 6 or 7 minutes. That's a 33. I mean, if you're going to go with a third, it's increasing it by a third. Or slightly more than that. Say 33 to 35% bump on everything he's doing. Add a third. Let's go conservatively on this one. Add a third to everything he's doing. His 84% free throw shooting, that goes up in volume. So that's more important. The field goal percent is basically a wash. Three-pointers go up from half to about 0.7 or 0.8. Okay, maybe not quite that much. Don't even worry about the three-pointers. That's not why we have him anyway. Uh, The scoring. Scoring goes up over 10. Rebounds get up near five. Assists get up near four. Ten, five, and four with one point. Yeah, wait a minute. You know, don't don't forget. 1.3 steals plus another 30% on that. 30% of that at point four, basically. You're looking at almost 1.7 steals a game, potentially. Could the blocks go up to point four or point five? Yeah, absolutely. And that's an easy inside the top 100 guy. That's probably inside the top 90. So I think DeAnthony Melton's a big winner, and I think Kyle Anderson is a big winner. I'm putting him in the big winner category, even though you guys might disagree with me on whether it's big or little. He's number 240 in 17 and a half minutes a game. So obviously the ceiling we're talking about with Melton is not quite the same as with slow-mo. And he's a little bit more of a specialist when it comes down to what he does when he's on the floor. But if you look at, again, the options are very limited without Solomon Hill, without Jay Crowder. It's going to have to be a lot of Dylan Brooks at the three, as we mentioned, or slow-mo. When Jay Crowder's been out, there have been a few games for that over the course of this year, Kyle Anderson has hovered in that kind of 6-6-5 six, six, and five type territory, which is a weird fantasy line. I get it. But over his career, his per 36s on the defensive side have been extraordinarily high. His last season in San Antonio, he played 26 and a half minutes per game. He averaged 8, 5, and 3 with 2.4 combined defensive stats. Last year in Memphis, before he got hurt, he played 30 minutes a game, averaged 8-6-3 with 2.2 defensive stats. I don't think he's getting quite that high, but two defensive stats would certainly make it worthwhile. You know, maybe 1.2 and 0.8 or something like that. That would go along with something like, oh, I don't know, six points, five rebounds, three and a half assists. So he's very much a end-of-the-bench kind of guy. But he got a big, big bump, and he might actually make his way into 12-team territory, if but barely. As I'm meandering my way through these things, I'm realizing maybe we should be moving a little bit faster. But this, to me, is all uh, so darn important that I really don't want to rush it. This is... Uh, it's just too important. Um, other big winner is Derrick Rose, who didn't get traded. So when he comes back healthy, presumably, or healthy-ish... He's going to have a whole lot of work to do on that Pistons team. I mean, he's going to have all the shots he can possibly imagine. Look for Derrick Rose to go huge down the stretch and miss a bunch of intermittent games for injury. I don't think they're going to go full shutdown because he's having fun. He just loves playing, and I think he knows how quickly it can all be taken away. So what's the point of just sitting him out? You know, it's not like they're building 
on him for the future. They're going to lose the games with or without him. Let him play. Fans love it. Players love it. I think he's going to go nuts. And Shabazz Napier is a, a winner when all was said and done because yesterday, if you had asked me, I would have called him a... Uh, well, the morning, I guess, I would have called him a trade deadline loser because he had been moved from a starting job in Minnesota to a backup job in Denver and then got flipped again on to, right at the deadline to Washington where he's probably going to be the starting point guard because the Wizards like bringing Ish Smith off the bench. And I, to me, I think Shabazz Napier is going to be better for that team than Isaiah Thomas because he's going to be more of a probing steal. Defense is better. He's going to get steals he can get fouled and get to the line. Isaiah Thomas just has no lift left in his game. So, honestly, I think Shabazz Napier could play his way into the mid to high 20s in minutes, cut Ish Smith down to that maybe 20 to 22 range, and then you're looking at Napier getting stats not that dissimilar from what he had in Minnesota, but probably, believe it or not, with more actual shot attempts because the Wizards' offense is so open and crazy. The order, by the way, I didn't do those guys in any true particular order after I got past Wood and Melton. Christian Wood, DeAnthony Melton, and me are the two guys that are the race out, stop everything you're doing, find a way to pick them up, drop the last guy on your bench, I don't care who it is, guys. And then I'd probably say Derek Rose, who's already on fantasy teams, but he caught a break by not getting traded. Napier over Kyle Anderson. Here's the list of smaller winners, and these actually require some explanation as well, which is a shame because this could end up being a longer-than-average podcast, but you know what? It is what it is. Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez. I'm not sure that either one of those guys gets inside the top 100. I, I, I sort of think of them in a not-that-dissimilar vein to Kyle Anderson in terms of, you know, they're going to have more to do. The minutes are just going to be higher in Minnesota than they were in Denver. But I don't like Wancho's game all that much anyway. He fits more of a points league build with a lot of scoring, threes, and rebounds. Beasley has a better nine-category game, but I don't know if there's going to be enough usage behind Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell unless he can get some nice open looks, get to the free throw line where he's been pretty successful, and also pick up some steals. I actually like his outlook better than slow-mo, just in terms of where they might finish, I only put slow-mo in the big winners because he went from being completely irrelevant to now being possibly relevant. Whereas with Beasley was already possibly relevant, he goes to slightly more relevant. Marquise Chris. He's a small winner, but he was already playing so well, so I don't, I don't know that I need to spend a ton of time on him. The Warriors sent out Omari Spellman and Jacob Evans in the D'Angelo Russell trade. And so Marquise Chris is kind of the last man standing now. Listen, over his last four games, he's played 23, 25, 26, 28 minutes. He played 31 in the game before that. Basically, since they signed him to his true contract, he's been getting all the minutes he can handle. 26 minutes a game. He's a top 60 guy over the last two weeks. There's no reason for that to come down. All of the stuff he's doing is relatively sustainable. Field goal percent might dip a little bit with no D'Angelo because the offense is just going to get more clumped unless Steph Curry actually does come back, but he's going to have more opportunity. So what do you prefer? Eight shots a game at 60% or 10 shots a game at 55%? Either way, it's a win. And the 10 shots at 55, he's scoring more. If he's on the floor more, he's going to rebound more. He's going to assist more. He's going to steals and blocks. All that stuff is just going to come up. So I'm not that worried about the loss in efficiency when you buttress that against the idea of him just getting to do more in every respect. So he's a winner, no question. 
There's no one coming for his time right now. Uh, and that's good. But you should have him anyway. And, you know, we've been crowing about Marquise Chris a lot. I have him in a bunch of sp- in a bunch of places, and I'm guessing you guys do too. So we won't spend too much time on that one. Other Warriors, also winners at the trade deadline. Damian Lee, Eric Pascal are both uh, medium, small to medium-sized winners. I'm going to throw Kai Bowman into this mix, although he's a guy I'm actually keeping a watch on right now. They just basically upgraded him from a 45-day deal to a to an actual multi-year traditional contract. So they're going to give him some time, but I'm a little bit worried with all of these guys, all three of them, Damian Lee, Pascal, Kai Bowman. I'm a little bit worried because the Warriors are just starting to bring in wackos. This is tank time. This is when you just see all sorts of experimenting. There's no reason for Steve Kerr to play almost any of his guys a full 30 minutes a game, and he might here in the immediate term. But I'm guessing that we're going to hit a point during this season. I don't know when it is, but when it happens, I'll try to harken back to this February 7th episode and say, eh, there it is. This is the time it happened. Uh, They finally decided to just play everybody a little bit, and it's all gone to hell. In the short term, uh, I probably like Eric Pascal as the most interesting of those guys because he can rebound. So that's an easy way to float your fantasy value if the other stuff isn't going great. Um, good efficiency numbers, so that also floats his stuff in Roto. Damian Lee, he needs to be rebounding, and I don't know if he's got the energy for it now that he's playing out a full season. He's, he sort of has to conserve himself a tiny bit more, so he really needs the steals to be high. And then with Kai Bowman, he probably has the most interesting fantasy stats out of the three because he'll be picking up point guard minutes, which means assists are on the table, steals and threes are on the table, but I don't know if he's actually going to play normal point guard minutes. I would venture to say, and I don't know what all of your leagues look like, but I would venture to say that Marquise Chris is probably owned in your league by now. I know he's only at 18%, but you guys are presumably in pretty competitive leagues. Kai Bowman is probably not owned in your fantasy league. Uh, He's only 2.5% owned, if I'm reading this correctly. Uh, Damian Lee probably is owned in your fantasy league because he had a few stretches of hot play. Uh, And Eric Pascal is a coin flip. He's probably owned as well. But what I think you can do with all of this stuff is, you know, the Warriors play tomorrow. They play Saturday. As long as nothing is changing between now and tomorrow... Whatever's happened has probably happened in your league. Like, someone on Saturday morning probably isn't going to log in and go, I think I'm going to pick up Kai Bowman today. They probably did it already. Unless one of their guys gets badly hurt tonight in the Friday night games and they have to drop them for just anybody. They've sort of done what they've done by Thursday night, by Friday morning. Teams have sort of made their trade deadline moves. So if Pascal or Bowman or Lee or Chris or whoever is on your wire. By the way, if Chris is on your wire, you need to go get him right this second. But specifically for the other three, if they're on your wire right now, they'll probably be on your wire during the Warriors game tomorrow, and you can make your call at halftime. Buy yourself a little bit of time to see what some of your other guys are doing. And that's my small or medium-sized winners. I also had a list of names that I'm kind of keeping an eye on, Uh, Bowman was one of those, but I just lumped him into the last list. Mo Harkless, I'm actually keeping an eye on. He's on the Knicks right now, and I can't imagine that lasts the rest of the year. He'll probably get bought out. Are there any teams, and this is where I run into a little bit of an impasse, are there any teams that really need a long, defensive-minded wing and can give that player 30 minutes a game? And the answer I'm coming up with is not really. 
Clippers, obviously, that's where he was, so he can't go back there. Was one of the better places he could have ended up. Uh, Rockets are all wings right now. If he ends up there, he might take all the minutes from someone like a Daniel House, uh, and there's a possibility he could end up with value on that team. Thinking about some of these other spots, I mean, he could end up back in Portland. The Blazers could use him desperately, and he might actually play big minutes there because he's better than Trevor Ariza. And he's better than Carmelo Anthony at this juncture, and he'd probably fit with the Blazers' need a little bit better. Maybe he goes back to Portland, but he's going to have to get bought out first. So just keep him on your watch list for now. Just keep him on your watch list for now. And then finally, Bruce Brown is the last guy on my watch list. I've seen a, a couple of you asking about Bruce Brown, but based on the fact that not many of you have brought up his name, it makes me think that if he's unowned in your league, he'll probably stay relatively unowned. He's coming off a 9-1-7 and game where he had a steal and a block. He's playing gigantic minutes. Some of that is the result of Derrick Rose being out. When Rose and Reggie Jackson are both healthy at the same time, and if Luke Kennard ever resurfaces, Bruce Brown is in a little bit of trouble. So to me, he feels a little bit more short-term. I like the fact that he's getting assists, but some of that is because Derrick Rose is not on the floor. And he was the assist guy when he was out there. Rose was the one getting people involved with Blake when Blake Griffin went down. So I'm a little bit lower on Bruce Brown than I am on some of these other names on the list. Oh, okay. Those are your winners and losers of the trade deadline. It only took 40 minutes. <laughs> uh, pausing here in the, in, the, in the podcast because I wanted to do a little bit of promo stuff, and, and you guys have been kind enough to kind of walk along with us on this one. Um, big, big push here on this Friday show to drop a five-star review on the podcast. If you have iTunes or really... I mean, if you're sitting at work or at home right now and there's a computer or a family member nearby and you've already reviewed the show, do it on theirs. That's what we're asking you now. We want this to sort of, we want this to explode out like a big pyramid. Um, Grab your spouse's phone or your kid's phone or your sibling's phone if you're a younger person or your roommate's phone, whatever's floating around. If they've got an iPad, just have them sign into their account so you can review it. Open the podcast app. Use the search button and search for Fantasy NBA Today. Click on the uh, show title and then scroll to the bottom and drop that five-star review on the podcast. I think we're up to like 440-something now, which is freaking amazing. Um, I want to see if we can get to 450 before Monday. I want this to be a big, big push. Uh, I don't ask you guys for much. As you know, this show is always and will always be free. And the only thing we ever ask is that we get those five-star reviews to keep the show growing. And certainly after yesterday, doing four hours of podcasting, I could use a little break from talking and not have make me feel so darn good to see those five-star reviews pop up. And if you're at an office and you have iTunes on a machine, uh, boot that up and review it over there. Again, if you want to write something fun, that'll be swell. Uh, I will read it on air, as I will do here momentarily. That's coming up. Don't worry. We'll read uh, the latest reviews here on the podcast. Um, but please do take a moment to rate and review the show. It would mean an awful lot to me. And the other thing I want to push is, again... The contributor roles. Um, we're, we're looking for folks that can handle some podcasts here down the stretch. If you want to learn how to write a bit for fantasy, or if you want to join our midday sales team that's still on the table, it is growing. It's taken off. It's really starting to roll here over the last couple of weeks as everybody's beginning to hit the ground running. Email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com or hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Okay. 
big thank you for all that stuff. Let's review the Thursday card, and then we'll move into a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday weekend preview, and that'll be the end of the podcast because, damn, I'm tired. Oh, I forgot to uh, I forgot to read the recent review. Let's do that. Um, Jayhawk Money says, first season playing fantasy hoops. Appreciated the shout-out. Oh, you bumped it up. We got that four to a five. Well, you're welcome, my good man. Wanted to make sure that we got everything squared away. Uh, he says his league is a 10-team head-to-head daily changes points league. The analysis on this show is quite often a 12-team, eight- or nine-category lens. Any sincere thanks for the caveats on the February 4th episode. Emphasis on players' enhanced or subdued value in points leagues is welcome insight and a catalyst for my 10-5 and five record in second-place standing. You are most welcome, my good man. Uh, trying to do better of making sure folks know how we are assessing value on the podcast. We'll read another one uh, on Monday, obviously, if you guys keep these reviews coming. If you want to write something that's fun, I'll read it. Uh, but again, all you got to do is do that five-star review, and that will be sufficient. Uh, Thursday evening, I don't, I don't want to read too much into stuff. Obviously, there's some players on the move. Um, Orlando, they're a fairly predictable bunch right now, so nothing much there for New York. Alfred Payton sticking it in my eye in this ball game with 15, four and nine and seven steals. Uh, yeah, seven steals, a big number. He was just picking the pocket of Markel Fultz all game long, who I've been referring to affectionately as new Alfred Payton. Their fantasy games are very similar and Alfred, uh, took it to the young fella in this one, uh, big ball game. Again, if he doesn't get to the free throw line where he can hurt you, that's a good thing. Um, and this is just a really big game for Peyton. So uh, kudos there. I, You guys know I'm not a huge fan of his game overall, but he's been playing well lately. And I've also put him pretty sharply in my assistant steals specialist bucket, which uh, I think you know makes him useful for certain fantasy teams. Right now he's useful for a lot of fantasy teams because he's been hitting shots at a better clip and his turnovers have been relatively low. We were watching this Knicks team to see if anybody in particular would step up after Marcus Morris left town, and in this one, it was actually Taj Gibson, who played 29 and a half minutes at 19 and 5 with a block. I can't possibly see this becoming an everyday thing. Mitchell Robinson only played 19 minutes. He and Taj split all of the center bucket. Bobby Portis played 17 and a half minutes at power forward in this ballgame, and if that's the way they're going to do it, and Portis is backing up Julius Randle, and Taj Gibson is the starter with Mitchell Robinson coming off the bench at center... I guess there's a world where Gibson could play some 26, 27 minutes a game and Mitchell Robinson 21-ish off the bench. Um, is that enough for Taj, 26, 27 minutes? Uh, probably, actually. I mean, he's, he's a very efficient big man, um, and it, but I'm not going to bank on it. I'm not going to bank on it. R.J. Barrett also made his return in this ballgame, um, and he's not an efficiency guy, so you can write him right out of the books. Uh Again, if percentages don't hurt you, I guess there's a world for him there. Obviously, he's someone you'd you'd look at in a points league setting. And then Reggie Bullock, 12 points, three boards, three assists, and a steal. He should see more activity now as well uh, with Marcus Morris off the board. He can because Bullock can play some of that small forward stuff. So a little bit of Wayne Ellington got into the mix, but generally I think more Bullock. And then we'll keep an eye on Taj Gibson. But this is certainly not something you're buying after one ball game. New Orleans beat Chicago. This game ended up a lot closer than it was. Some of the reserves late in the ballgame made it interesting for Chicago. But the Pels were up big. Brandon Ingram turned his ankle, tried to play through it, and then ultimately left in the third quarter. If he has to miss any time, J.J. Redick, Josh Hart, and Drew Holiday all see big bumps. Drew always already useful. 
uh, Reddick and Hart would potentially move back over the cut line. I mean, it's a big deal when Brandon Ingram goes down because he's the team leader in shot attempts. So if he's off the floor, that gets redistributed. Zion, 21 points in 25 minutes, still really trying to figure out how to fit in at an NBA level because when he gets the ball, he's going head down to the bucket, and it's cool. Uh, offensively, he's been helpful. He got some steals and a block in this game as well, uh, but turned it over five times, one assist. Uh, if he's touching the ball that often, he's got to find a way to get somebody else involved, and, and that'll come. But this is all part of reasons why we're talking about maybe selling for somebody in that top 40 range, someone that's a little bit more settled. Uh, Derek Favors, big game, 8-15 and 15 with a block on 4 out of 5 shooting. They love him. He's such a great rim protector. I know his minutes were down. He would have played another 5 or 6 in the fourth quarter of this game had the ball game been closer. And again, you're looking at 25, 26, 27 minutes a game in a lot of these, and that's fine because he's staying healthy. That's cool. Chicago, I'm not going to read too much into it. This was blowout stuff, so, you know, guys were all over the map. Um, and, but this is what we were worried about, honestly. With no Chris Dunn, you figured Tomas Sadoransky would have to play more, but in a blowout loss, he didn't really need to. Uh, Kobe White saw more activity at the point guard spot, and added, as did Ryan Archidiacono. Um, so th- there's, there's very little consistency with this Bulls team. Zach Levine, Thad Young, probably the only guys you're really trusting right now. Milwaukee held on to beat Philadelphia, 112-101. to uh, They did cover, if but barely. Tobias Harris had a pretty good game for Philly, and everybody else was terrible. Joel Embiid, in particular, was awful for the 76ers. Um, five fouls, 19-11-6 and is fine, but it took him 26 shots to get there. Horford was actually decent, but he didn't shoot the ball well either. Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, those were your bright spots in this one on the Philly side. As they continue to lose on the road, Giannis... Big minutes. He and Chris Middleton actually had to rack up a few extra minutes in this ball game, uh, and they did well with him. Dante DiVincenzo still quietly staying above the cut line, and then Brooke Lopez, a quiet one, but three more blocks in Milwaukee. Pretty easy to predict what's going on with that ball club. San Antonio lost at Portland. The usual suspects in this one, LaMarcus Aldridge, had a bad shooting game, but generally bounced back from a low usage stretch with 20 points, eight boards, two steals, and a block. Derek White bounced back, had 15 points, three assists, and a block. DeJounte Murray had a Kyle Anderson-like line, but he belongs on rosters. DeMar DeRozan's fine. Trey Lyles woke up with an oddly large ball game, and I would not expect that to happen again. Hassan Whiteside, who you could probably mark down as a small winner in the trade deadline because he didn't go somewhere else, uh, had 17, 23, and four blocks. I mean, he's been incredible so far this year. Mello, 20-8. and eight. He looked good. Dame uh, was human. Seven turnovers, but 26-10 and 10 is pretty good in the win. CJ McCollum, 19-6. and six. Portland's starting to play a little bit better these days. Trevor Ariza, maybe it's the defense? I mean, we warned you about this shooting leveling off. He had 7-6, and six, but played 37 minutes in this ballgame. Um, again, keep an eye on Portland to see if they do anything in the buyout market. Uh, and also, Yusuf Nurkic, who might be back in the next two or three weeks. That will change the dynamic of things as well. We got our first look at Houston um, in their all-small, all-the-time lineup. Rob Covington uh, came off the bench and looked relatively comfortable, by all accounts, with his in his new digs. James Harden did not. He basically just let Russell Westbrook do everything, and, you know, Russ had himself a big ball. He did really good, by the way. We haven't talked a, a ton about Russ on the fantasy side because, from reality, he's just been soaking up everything and kind of making life tough. But he's been a first-round pick for the better part of about two months now in Houston. He's number seven over the last month. 
33-8-9 with two steals, 81% free throw shooting, and 51% from the field. He's really turned it on. Hasn't translated a ton for Houston, although, again, they've been playing better since they've gone ultra small. And the question is, you know, what do they do? Like, you know, in this ballgame, Anthony Davis was a monster. He went nuts, as you'd expect when you put him when you put PJ Tucker on him for an entire ball game. He's just going to eat him alive. The only issue in this one was Lakers had a little bit of a tough time defending Houston as well. Rockets hit a bunch of three pointers, and so that made it a good ball game. I mean, if if the Rockets aren't down in threes, Lakers probably win this one with relative ease. And I think a lot of teams are trying to figure out what to do with Houston as they run this new look roster at them. One thing to note, Daniel House actually had an okay ball game here, but I don't really trust him with Westbrook and Harden both on the floor at the same time. You know how they soak up usage, and this was a crazy low usage game for Harden, which actually allowed a little bit more Daniel House. I mean, think of it this way. Uh, House, his usage was third on the team behind Harden and Westbrook. Normally, let's say Harden gets a little bigger chunk of the usage in a ball game, that's going to come out of those other guys' buckets. Luckily for us, Rob Covington doesn't need usage. He's going to take six, seven, eight, three pointers a game and nothing else and get you three defensive stats, and that'll be more than enough. This, by the way, Rob Covington being in town as another good rebounding forward probably kills P.J. Tucker, even with him playing center the entire ballgame. But we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, Tucker was in foul trouble for most of this ballgame. Um, Covington had some foul issues as well. I mean, this is, you know, when you play guys in the wrong spot on the floor... These are the things you're going to run into, um, but we're going to feel it out a little bit. I don't know that I'd make any big life-changing decisions on these guys after one game. Uh, House, Tucker, Covington, in particular, the guys we're watching. Uh, Rocco more for the buy low or sell high possibility. He obviously belongs on a fantasy team. Gordon McLemore don't. And then uh, Tucker and House are the ones that are sort of fluctuating in the in-between. And then, boy, if you're a Laker fan, you'd love for Anthony Davis to play a team running out a 6-5 center every night. And finally, here a quick, and I mean real quick, because I'm running out of voice, and we got to get this sucker wrapped up. Look at the next game for all 30 teams. We'll start tonight, Friday, Dallas at Washington. Dallas, they're all over the map, man. I have no idea what these guys are doing on a night-to-night basis, but we're going to watch all of them, damn it. There's nothing I'm doing at halftime, if that's what you're thinking about. I think Jalen Brunson should be able to have himself a decent ball game here. With Washington, I don't think Shabazz Napier will be available. I haven't seen a report on that yet, but I'd be pretty surprised if he made it uh, he's probably on his way to Denver for that first trade and then turns around and has to catch a flight east. So he probably won't be there, which means you probably get a big game out of Ish Smith. But Washington will be a team certainly to watch in their following ball game because Shabazz is one of those guys on our list. Memphis, plenty of guys to watch on this one. De'Anthony Melton, who I think I'm starting. Kyle Anderson is a guy to watch as he fills in with big minutes of that small forward spot. Does this mean more for Brandon Clark? Because there are fewer power forward options as well. Interesting stuff. Nothing in Philly, not much in Atlanta. I mean, obviously, if Clint Capella is playing, which we believe he will be, you see how the dynamic is there. I think that a lot of these changes in Atlanta ends up hurting Kevin Herter. He was hanging on because of threes and some assists and some steals. And if his volume gets pushed down and his minutes get pushed down, because again, now you're taking a lot of the center minutes off the table. So that moves Collins down to the power forward. That moves whoever the hell was going to play power forward when he wasn't on the floor, down to small forward. Guys like DeAndre Hunter get pushed down. That pushes down Herter. That pushes down Cam Reddish. Trey Young ain't going anywhere. 
And so, and if Jeff Teague is actually going to see any minutes at all, that squeezes Herter and Hunter and Reddish. Boston, they're an injury mess at the moment, but, uh, you know, Dennis Cantor seems like a pretty safe streaming center while Daniel Tice is out. Otherwise, you're just kind of playing it day by day with these dudes. Detroit, uh, <laughs> I don't think their new guys will be there yet. This would be really damn fast if John Henson and Brandon Knight were actually in town. So um, not that that's going to, to me, make a giant difference anyway, but Christian Wood should go huge. No Derek Rose, so Reggie Jackson should have another opportunity, and probably Bruce Brown will play well, play well in this ballgame as well. Nothing with Oklahoma City. They didn't make any moves at the deadline. Neither did Toronto, and it sounds like both Powell and Gasol are out for a couple more ball games. so that's pretty predictable. Indiana, uh, TJ Warren is questionable, so we'll get more information on that front here uh, soon. And otherwise, it's just more Victor Oladipo, so we're continuing to monitor how he gets worked into the mix. Houston on the back-to-back, and Phoenix sounds like Westbrook is going to sit this one out, so this is a great opportunity to run guys like House and Covington and Tucker out there because we know they play well when it's alongside exclusively James Harden. I mean, this is a tough life, man. Now Tucker's going to have to go defend DeAndre Ayton for 35 minutes a game? Yeesh. Miami, um, we won't, I don't think we'll have their new guys yet. And then Jimmy Butler, they, they think the shoulder strain is very low grade, so that would be helpful. But uh, in the interim here, you know, if you got like a Goran Dragic or a Kendrick Nunn, these guys are probably going to have a lot to do for a couple of ball games until everybody arrives and Jimmy Butler comes back, but it's a very, it's Derek Jones Jr., by the way, but it's very much a streaming situation at the moment. Sacramento shipped off Dwayne Dedman, got Jabari Parker and Alex Len, but I don't think they'll be there, and even when they are, Parker's been hurt, and Len will just assume whatever role Dedman was playing. Rashawn Holmes is questionable. I think he's going to miss one more, but I'd be really happy and obviously pleasantly surprised if he doesn't, uh, and then we'll just see how things shake out from there. Portland on the back-to-back in Utah after a nice win in uh, over San Antonio. Jazz favored by 8.5. They've been slumping right now. Portland's been playing well, but the back-to-back in altitude after the late-night game is a tough one to handle. Utah, Mike Conley, has been on the rise, and that's a beautiful thing. Turning the tables, or rather the page, I should say, to Saturday, Milwaukee and Orlando. Nothing much in that ball game. Knicks will watch, I guess, Taj Gibson, believe it or not. Detroit, we already talked about them. Dallas, talked about them. Charlotte, they made no moves at the deadline. So uh, do we continue to see this aggressive iteration of Miles Bridges? He finally looks like the guy that people drafted. Maybe he'll be him for two months. That would be a really big get if he turns it on here. Pelicans, they're cruising. We'll see what's going on with Brandon Ingram over the next little bit. Uh, If he misses any time, we already talked about Josh Hart, J.J. Redick getting a little bit of a boost. Otherwise, they're fairly predictable. Talked Indiana, Brooklyn, no changes there with no Kyrie. Um, you guys know I don't care much for their backcourt. Talk Toronto. Clippers, uh, will they have Marcus Morris? If they do, obviously that will be the dynamic we're watching, along with Ivica Zubats playing more and Montrez Harrell playing slightly less here over the last couple of ballgames. Is D'Angelo Russell in Minnesota by Saturday? I hope so. That'll be an interesting one to watch as well because there are a lot of names on the Minnesota side that might get a look. Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez, uh, Josh Okogie, um... Maybe one of these guys separates himself from the pack. If I had to guess, it would be Beasley. That's my guess. I don't really like Juancho Hernan Gomez's game that much. I know he had to play for stretches in Denver when they were down a couple of dudes, but he barely saw the floor this year. Like, almost not at all. 
Lakers Warriors. Uh, Warriors are definitely a team. To, I mean, this is a fun weekend, man. You got a lot of teams to pay close attention to to see as Golden State brings in all these weirdo new bodies. Denver, they're starting to get healthy a little bit. Phoenix, interestingly, nothing there. San Antonio, uh, they're basically a four-horse team at the moment. And then we talked about Sacramento already. And I think that might be everybody, although we'll check Sunday to see if anybody's slipping in here. Uh, Sunday, that Washington game will be one to pay attention to because I think you'll you'll see Shabazz make his uh, Wizards debut. Chicago plays again, but they're they're a non-story. And then Cleveland on uh, on Sunday. Um, yeah, they don't go for a while here. So that will definitely be one to watch as Andre Drummond makes his Cavs debut. And we'll see what the hell they're doing with their front court. Right in an hour. We barely made it. I'm falling apart. I'm going to try not to talk for two full days. That's how I feel right now. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks for those five-star reviews. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Again, hit me up there if you want to be a part of our hoopball team or have any general questions or send an email to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Hey, sign up for the Bruise Letter. I haven't talked to you guys about that in a little bit. That obviously comes out every Monday. Still very useful here, even as we work our way past the midpoint, past the 60% mark, onto the downslope of the 2020 portion of this NBA campaign. Have a great weekend, everybody. Back with you on Monday, reverse chronological lightning round. It'll be a long one. I can already tell you, we got a lot of things happening over the weekend, post-trade deadline, and we'll be making our moves. I'll try to tweet about it over the weekend as well. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.